Please be advised that this episode of the Ostomunos Project discusses content of a sensitive nature. If discussions of death and dying with a stoma are not to your liking, please feel free to tune out and select a more appropriate episode for you. Thank you. The Ostomy Nurse Project. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Ostomy Nurse Project. As usual, it's Felicity, your host, and today we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit personal and a little bit sensitive for some people, and that's the discussion around death and dying for those people living with a stoma, or friends, family, or loved ones of someone who lives with a stoma. And there's even a little bit of discussion around the healthcare professionals, the nurses, palliative care workers who do deal with people living with a stoma at their end of life scenario and the care that these people provide. So there's a little bit of information that talks about what nurses can do to provide the maximum quality of life experience for people at the end of their lifetime. Now also in this episode today we're going to be covering a few different things. One of those is uh, looking at considerations for the reasoning for creating a stoma. So looking at different scenarios like considerations for planning a what we call a palliative stoma as a means of symptom relief for people who are towards the end of their lifespan or for people who have perhaps a terminal illness that cannot be cured or treated. So a palliative stoma may be an option as a means of pain relief um, and comfort for somebody. Uh, And then looking at the opposite end of the scale about considering people who have had their stomas for many years and the management of these people when they start to age or deteriorate for any reason and the changes in their management plan that come about um, so that they can remain independent as long as possible and uh, also die with dignity and comfort knowing that their stoma care routine is is well planned and well looked after. We're going to discuss briefly some care considerations, so looking at uh, family, friends and loved ones that can be involved in the stoma care when someone's dying, as well as the involvement of palliative care nurses and healthcare workers and um, the, the extent to which we can be involved in making that person as comfortable as possible. And then we're also going to look at the practical options, so the pouching options, the use of accessories for managing people who are actively dying or where their death is imminent because there are certain wishes that some people have um, in the hours, days, weeks preceding their death and how we accommodate for that in a stomal therapy sense and the options that we can provide for them in terms of pouches and accessories to provide them the comfort that they need so that they can again die with dignity and integrity and um, a good positive quality of life experience before they pass. And finally, within that, we will talk about what to do for a person who has passed and who happens to have some stomal therapy supplies left over. If they've got a lot of stock at home, we get a lot of questions about what to do with that stock once the the person has passed away. So we're going to cover that as well in this episode. So to get us started when we're talking about death and dying with a stoma, I want to just clear up, we we do mention the word palliative care quite a bit in our healthcare settings, and I wanted to describe to you the the generalized definition 
of palliative care because there's a common misconception that people think when we start talking to someone about palliation or palliative care, it means that they are imminently dying. So somebody's death is going to occur in the next few hours to days to weeks, and that's simply not the case. So the World Health Organization's definition, which is like the globally accepted definition of something, is that palliative care is an approach that is designed to improve the quality of life for patients and their families who are facing problems associated with life-threatening or terminal illness. And we do that through the prevention and relief of suffering of things like perhaps physical decline or physical changes, pain management, spiritual management, psychosocial management of a patient, and things like that. So it covers an array of aspects to do with the person holistically or as a whole. Palliative care isn't dependent on a prognosis, so you don't have to be brought under this banner of palliative care if you are dying or not dying. That's not a defining factor. And many healthcare facilities say or suggest that palliative care starts at the diagnosis of serious illness and continues with life-prolonging therapy and ends with the initiation of um, hospice care and death. We don't tend to use the term hospice care here in Australia, but it is a term that is used quite widely. But it basically just covers from start to middle to end. Palliative care can cover all three areas of that. So we are quite involved in that as stomal therapy nurses because we get to deal with people from the beginning of their stoma journey right throughout their lifespan and again at the very end of their life. Now there's a couple of different scenarios that we as stoma nurses face when we're dealing with people who have undergone stoma surgery or people who are contemplating stoma surgery in a palliative sense. So we obviously deal with quite a lot of people who have had a stoma formed for any given reason. It might have been from um, a period of disease early on in their life as babies. Some people live with a stoma throughout their entire life as a means of continence or an emergency formation. Some people obviously um, more commonly have stoma formation as a result of some sort of present disease as we keep talking about in many of the episodes, inflammatory bowel disease, cancers, for continence management, all those sorts of factors um, can obviously be a reason for a person coming through our doors with a stoma. One of the other factors that a lot of people don't contemplate is that sometimes, depending on the disease process that someone may be suffering, um, there may be a scenario where people have what we call a palliative stoma formed. So that surgery to create a stoma as a means of relieving symptoms. So let's consider an instance, perhaps somebody that does have an aggressive form of pelvic cancer, whether it be um, a uterine cancer or a colon cancer or a rectal cancer. Not every cancer is curable, as we well know. Um, and some cancers are so aggressive or the person may be so very ill, um, they may not be a candidate for um, being cured through surgery. And sometimes uh, if the cancer progresses uh, to a point where the person is becoming obstructed, so they're not able to have normal bowel function, or if they are experiencing quite a lot of pain because a tumor perhaps might be considerably larger or it might be putting a lot of pressure on other organs, 
it might be affecting the person's ability to live their life comfortably. And so in some scenarios, people are offered the option to create what we call a palliative stoma, where instead of resecting that tumor or um, trying to perform a curative operation, they will simply divert the bowel um, so that the person can still obviously have functional bowel motions in the form of a stoma um, so that they can live out the rest of their life with a degree of comfort and symptom relief from that overarching disease that will eventually claim their life. So they're actually two very different areas and, and, and there's a lot of different considerations depending on what type of stoma that we are dealing with. Obviously, a person that's lived with a stoma for a very long time for a disease or a condition that is not related to their imminent death or their, their dying, they will obviously have a different outlook on that stoma and how they manage that stoma compared to somebody who has been given the news that they have an incurable disease or something will happen to them that they cannot fix and that a stoma may be a means of symptom relief only so that they can function as long as they can before they die. Um, there's obviously a lot of emotional differences between the two. There's a lot of psychological uh, and psychosocial and spiritual issues to consider for people who are contemplating stoma surgery as a means of palliative symptom relief, as opposed to people who have their stomas done um, as a means of cure. For people who are considering a palliative stoma or a symptom relief stoma, there's definitely positives and negatives to consider about that surgery. And it all centers around what type of quality of life it's going to give you. And that concept may be different for every single person. They might consider undergoing surgery again, perhaps not a viable option. They may not want to undergo surgery. They may just want to live out the remaining time that they have as long as they can, rather than get used to an entirely new concept of learning how to manage a stoma, which is a very big change for some people. Whereas vice versa, some people will choose to undergo surgery and contemplate learning how to manage a stoma underneath that overarching umbrella that they know that it will only be for symptom relief and it will not cure their condition. If a person is open and willing to accept the fact that they'll be learning something new for the time that they have left, well then yes, the quality of life can be significantly improved for these people if they are willing to accept and learn how to manage a new stoma when they know it's never going to fix their overall condition. So that's all I really wanted to highlight about that. As a stomal therapy nurse, we do have these discussions and these conversations with people who are contemplating having a stoma formation as a means of symptom relief because there's a lot of things to consider. Um, and that's things like you have to take into account the recovery time that's needed from stoma surgery. It is quite significant. You have to learn a totally new skill for people who have a stoma formed as a means of symptom relief, the future considerations of that. So if people are going on to have things like palliative chemotherapy or palliative radiation, those things in themselves can cause issues as we know with stomas. If any of you have listened to the chemo with the stoma episode or the radiation therapy episode for people with a stoma, they're all factors that we have to take into account when we're talking to someone about the possibility or the potential problems that can occur if people choose to have a stoma done for symptom relief if their condition is not curable.
That's not to say that those conditions aren't manageable in conjunction with your stomal therapy nurse. We're very good at doing that. But it is a consideration that we do discuss with you uh, when talking about the options for having a palliative stoma formed. Now, moving on, for anybody who has a stoma, whether created palliatively or not, there are certain changes that occur throughout the lifetime that will have changes to your stoma and that will affect the way that you pouch your stoma and live your life independently. And these are things like motor and sensory changes, changes in vision, changes in body type and shape, and changes in your cognitive status that may affect your ability to care for your stoma yourself. So for people who live with a chronic illness or a debilitating illness or even life-limiting or terminal disease, the changes in a person's physiological state um, will actually lead to things like motor and sensory deficits. So as we know, when we age or when we get older or come to the end of our life, our ability to um, sense things, you know, a perception in our sense of touch um, or our ability to be able to manipulate an ostomy pouch, for instance, can decline. And as we get older and as we get sicker, these problems can become quite prominent. And so stomal therapy techniques obviously need to be monitored or changed or adapted to suit the person's ability to try and keep them as independent as long as possible. Visual difficulties is a really big one. Obviously, the natural course of aging means that our, our vision can decline, but also um, other comorbidities, so perhaps things like retinopathy or neuropathy, which is quite common in people with diabetes, where your vision uh, is impaired. Some people are no longer able to see their stoma very well, and so it's very difficult to line up the pouch. And so sometimes we will often see people who have struggled with their pouching system and they haven't been able to see to stick the bag on properly and that's caused leakage or perhaps skin damage as a result of not covering the peristomal area properly or adequately. These are the issues that we do face. And so our aims with these people will be to try and find a pouching system that makes it easier for them to correctly apply their pouches, where visual difficulties can make that quite um, troublesome. That may be something like us suggesting switching to a two-piece system with the assistance of a family member doing the base plates and lining that up correctly, or even uh, district nursing if that's available, or hospice care workers in a nursing home who may be able to do that part for the patient and they can still remain independent in changing the outer bags when they see fit. That's just one one of many options that we can consider when people who are declining start to suffer from visual difficulties. There are many pouches, products and accessories that are available uh, on the Stone Appliance Scheme or, or throughout the world, wherever you happen to be listening from, that can be implemented to make sure that your pouching regime is still working for you and that you can manage that independently. Changes in body shape is a really big one in terms of managing people who are declining quite rapidly. At the end of our life uh, in particular, so leading up to death, people obviously stop uh, eating, they don't have an appetite, 
uh, in some scenarios. And so people might experience rapid weight loss. For people who are suffering from some types of cancer, these cancerous tumors consume uh, an enormous amount of energy. And so these people suffer from what we call cachexia, where they start to look really skinny and skeletal because of the amount of energy that these cancerous tumors absorb and the person's not getting adequate nutrition. Uh, So people that get really skinny, the skin can become quite flaccid and wrinkly. Our abdomens change. We can get creases in places that we didn't have before. And our stomas will change size and shape. And so we may need to adjust the type of pouching system that a person is using to fit their abdomen as it changes throughout the lifespan. And vice versa, some conditions, particularly in a scenario, for instance, for people who are having treatment for uh, certain conditions, they may be on quite high doses of steroids to try and prolong their life. And that can cause a significant amount of weight gain. Um, And so, you know, changing a pouching system to adapt to an increasing weight is also something that we are quite heavily involved in, whether we've previously used perhaps a convex bag or perhaps a certain shaped flange, we can change that to suit the changes in that person's stoma and their body composition so that they have a securely fitted pouch that the person can manage. And in addition to that, keeping within the same context, there are certain conditions perhaps where people have internal tumors growing um, and that if that is growing around the stoma or in the pelvic area where a person has a stoma, that can significantly impact changes in the body shape as well. There are some tumors that are non-resectable where if they grow big enough, they can actually create a bulge or a shape under the abdomen or under the stoma that can push it out of alignment or it might create a very uneven plane. And again, the principles still apply. We need to find a pouching system that that person can manage where it's creating a proper adhesion without leakage or issues so that the person can manage that stoma effectively. And then at the end of that as well, there's also changes in our cognition as we decline depending on the condition that we're suffering, whether it be something as simple as old age or whether it be a terminal condition that's resulting in degenerative changes in the brain. Some people's level of cognition may mean that when they were once able to manage their stoma independently and they knew their routine, they may no longer be able to follow that process. And so we even need to consider bringing in a third party, perhaps a care worker, a palliative care nurse, or some type of healthcare uh, facility that may be able to manage the stoma for that person so that they can maintain their dignity and their quality of life for as long as they have left. Now, speaking of involving other parties into a person's stoma care routine, One of the considerations that we look at as stomal therapy nurses is whether we need to involve family or care workers at all. There are numerous cultural considerations for people who are dying where some families are very heavily involved in the patient's care leading up to their passing. Some cultures are very protective of the dying uh, in these instances and so for, for these considerations where families were previously unaware of how to manage the person's stoma, when it comes time for that person to pass, the families may all of a sudden need to be taught how to learn that person's stoma care. And so that's where the stomal therapy nurse becomes involved because we may need to re-educate family or loved ones who are the ones that surround that person um, when they are dying. And that's something that we do readily. We can teach the person closest to the patient or, or the 
people who are involved in that patient's community or whoever's going to be taking on that person's stoma care, we are actively involved in finding an appliance that is suitable for the person to use, um, for them to learn to put on the patient and that the patient is comfortable with using. Whereas others prefer to take a step back, sometimes the emotional and psychological and spiritual impact of seeing these changes or the deterioration in their family member or loved one means that they can no longer take on the care of someone's stoma if they had been doing it previously. There's many scenarios, particularly for people in very old age who are in a natural decline where perhaps they've been with their partner for a significant amount of years and their partner has always been the one who's taken on their stoma care with them or done it in partnership with that person. And for whatever reason, sometimes the emotional aspect of watching their loved one pass or or deteriorate may be too much for that person to continue to manage. And so that's perfectly fine. And, And as a stoma nurse, we acknowledge that if that becomes a challenge for that family member or the carer or the loved one of that person, we need to take that into account. We openly acknowledge that it is okay to speak up and say, I can't do this anymore or I don't want to do this anymore. That is certainly a very valid expression and we would certainly try and accommodate uh, a stoma care routine that is viable for you and that it's acceptable by you both. And so whether we need to recognize that somebody else needs to come into that picture, perhaps a district or community nurse who can take over the person's stoma care for them, or whether we need to look at changing the appliance to something that's simple that they can both manage if that's within their capacity to do so. Whether or not that partner or the person, the patient themselves, is comfortable with having somebody else take on their stoma care is a matter of discussion, and that is something that we do discuss with families and with loved ones um, in the process of that person dying. Are they managing the person's stoma still? Do they want to manage that person's stoma? Is it come to a point where we need to involve somebody to make their life easier so that they can die with dignity, so to speak? And so palliative care, nursing and family participation is a big part of what we do in discussions around dying. Now let's take a look at some of the product options for people uh, in a palliative sense. One scenario I can think of is for people with limited bowel function in the process of dying. One scenario that I have had in the past is where a patient didn't want to pass with a ginormous bag. They they didn't feel comfortable. They felt uncomfortable having a large bag stuck to them whilst they were actively dying. And so the patient wanted something much smaller and much more comfortable, knowing that their stoma wasn't going to work. They didn't want that feeling of something stuck to them when they were trying to remain comfortable in the remaining hours of their life. And so uh, in discussions with the patient and the family, we chose to use uh, what we call a mini cap, a mini stoma. If any of you are wondering what a mini cap is, you can listen to the All About Ostomy Products episode where we talk about a mini cap as being a very small version of a stoma bag. So it just looks like a little round circle or a little square that just covers the stoma itself. So to protect from a bit of mucus output. And that was an option that we gave to our patient that they were much more comfortable with and they didn't feel like they had a big bag stuck to them, uh, which wasn't active anyway, that their bowel was not functioning because the patient was not eating. So that was done in consideration with the patient and the family. And that patient uh, died with 
a lot of comfort measures around them, knowing that they didn't have to have a great big bag stuck to them in the last remaining hours of their life. Obviously, we can't do that for patients who have perhaps a urostomy or a urinary stoma, although we have been known in the past to put a pediatric urostomy pouch over a stoma and hook it up to a long bag so that the bag was significantly smaller, um, but it was still obviously a pouching system that had an extension on it for that person. But again, in the same sense, for people who are in the final hours days of their life, they may choose a much more comfortable pouching option that would suit them a lot better. Another scenario we looked at is for a patient who uh, their condition had become so bad that they were having very loose and high output from their stoma in the weeks to months leading up to their passing. And so as a comfort measure, we were able to suggest a high output system as opposed to their drainable bag um, where they didn't have to empty the bag anywhere near as often. And because of the restrictions to that patient's mobility as the weeks went on, they became more and more immobile and bed bound and so getting up to get to the bathroom to empty their bag so frequently was quite painful for that person so we were able to implement a high output bag which they could connect to an overnight system so that the patient didn't have to get up out of bed during a night time to empty their bag and so as a comfort measure and a means of pain relief that was a much more viable option for that patient and they died also with a lot of comfort and dignity because they didn't have to suffer through getting up during the night to empty their bag. And that went on for several uh, weeks into months even. But that was just highlighting another option that we provided for a person to create a comfort measure for them or a means of symptom relief so that that patient was able to die comfortably uh, in their own home. And that's also a method that's been effective for people who have had um, palliative chemotherapy. Obviously, chemotherapy can upset the gut and create loose or high output. That's a measure that we implement quite regularly for managing people's symptoms when they are going through these changes leading up to their death and their passing. Again, it all centers around the conversations that we have leading up to a person's passing for any means or measures that we can implement to make life more comfortable so that the person who is dying uh, feels settled and comfortable knowing that their stoma is well cared for in the last moments of their life. That's part of what we do as nurses, not just stomal therapy nursing, any nursing. We are there to provide you the most comfort possible in the final hours, days, weeks, months of a person's life so that you can die with dignity and comfort. Another scenario that we have dealt with in the past is not necessarily to do with stomas, but more centered around comfort measures for a patient who had a proliferative tumor. And, and this sort of broadens on the wound care side of things, but this tumor had grown so large, it was what we considered a fungating tumor. And the odor that came from that tumor was really quite distressing for the patient and the patient's family. And it wasn't necessarily to manage bowel output or urine output, but to make the patient comfortable, we implemented wound care pouches in the past that can cover these tumors and cover up the odor that's associated with the fluids and the necrosis that do come from these proliferating tumors and these growing tumors that can be quite 
difficult to manage with simple wound dressings. So that's just another measure that we have been involved in where a patient's situation was made a lot more positive and comfortable knowing that the family didn't have to sit in that patient's room and be deterred by any odor or smell. That patient kept their dignity knowing that they were clean and comfortable and contained, comfortable within themselves. Now, again, in a different sense, there have been some scenarios where we have had to look after patients who have had quite significant peristomal changes or changes to their stoma. For instance, bleeding is a significant issue for people, depending on the type of condition that they have. Leading up to the end of their life, if bleeding from the stoma or around the stoma is a significant issue, that can cause quite a lot of distress for the patient, for their family. And having to manage leaks and issues underneath that adhesive flange. So to provide the person with as much security and comfort uh, and relief knowing that their pouch isn't going to leak, we have in the past looked at certain accessory products or even wound care products that we've had to place underneath those adhesive flanges to try and stem any bleeding or leakages to preserve the integrity of that seal and make sure that that person isn't going to have to deal with constant leakage, skin damage as a result of the changes to their stoma or the surrounds. There was a particular scenario that we had to deal with in the past where a patient had significant bleeding from the stoma to do with what we call stomal varices. I'm not going to go into depths about what stomal varices is, but for stomal therapy nurses out there who might be listening, you would have an understanding of what stomal varices is. But essentially, the stoma bleeds quite significantly in some cases, and it does require um, quite complex management in some cases because the bleeding can get underneath that adhesive flange or it can um, macerate that adhesive flange to an extent where the pouch just simply comes off because it doesn't stick well enough. And in these scenarios, we had to implement obviously, um, you know, some pressure to the area to try and stem that bleeding, medications that were prescribed by the palliative care doctors to try and uh, reduce that bleeding. And then obviously a pouching system with wound care dressings that were going to absorb some of that blood underneath and prevent it from getting out underneath that flange. Now that's quite a distressing scenario for some people and so I do apologize if that's offensive to you but these are the diverse situations that we find ourselves in where we have to find a pouching system that can accommodate for these significant changes leading up to a person's passing. In this particular scenario, we had to use a wound product called Keltostat, which absorbs um, exudate and bleeding, as well as using some seals and other accessory products to absorb some of the moisture that was getting underneath the flange, and then implementing a high output system, which for that particular person who had become less mobile, um, that high output system was able to accommodate larger volumes, um, which was obviously entailing fecal output as well as bleeding output as well. So managing higher volumes so that that pouch didn't have to be emptied as frequently was a um, was a, a better option for that patient so that their, their care and their quality of life was managed in the best way possible leading up to their passing. So they are just some of the examples and the scenarios that we have dealt with in the past as stomal therapy nurses that you may be considering or that you might even contemplate towards the end of life and the, the type of management that we may need to consider to make your life as comfortable as possible in these scenarios.
And finally, I just want to talk about obviously what happens after a person has passed. One of the main questions or a lot of the phone calls that we get after a person has passed away is, I've got an awful lot of stock at home or I've got excess bags left around and I don't want to throw them out, but I don't quite know what to do with them. And so here in Australia, um, the Stoma Appliance Scheme obviously funds these products and we do often find ourselves uh, with a lot of leftover stock that gets returned after someone has passed away because people simply don't want to waste these products. And it's completely understandable. These products can certainly get put to good use. Um, in our hospital facilities, we use a lot of those products that get returned to us. We are uh, one of few places that will actually take returns. And unfortunately, in Australia, a lot of the stoma appliance uh, associations will not take back stock um, because they do uh, generate an excess. Some do, some don't. It's important to know um, or perhaps contact your local association to find out if they will accept returns of stock that's left over. But from a hospital point of view, we have taken back stock in the past. We then use those unopened products for the purposes of teaching. We use them to teach nursing staff and educate students on stoma care elements. We can also use those products for creating educational material, posters, promotions, demonstrations. And then for the products that we don't go on to use, we often donate those products to charities um, or organizations that will take products and take them overseas to perhaps third world or developing countries that don't have access to supplies. I have spoken about these associations or these groups or these charities that do take on used uh, unused ostomy supplies. Um, and if you want more information on that, here in Australia, you can look up what we call the Australia Fund, which is run through AXA or the Australian Council of Stoma Associations. They do have some links to charities that will take unused stock and will send them over to developing countries. There's also here in Australia a lot of hospital-related projects or charity groups that will take on um, unused products, unused ostomy supplies, and they will donate them to countries and families and individuals in need. Another online initiative that you can find here in Australia is through Ostomate Active, uh, which is ostomateactive.com.au. They have the Oz to Mate Bag Bank, OZ number 2, M-A-T-E, the Oz to Mate Bag Bank. Uh, they are running an initiative where you can donate unused ostomy supplies and they will send them to a charity uh, over in Ethiopia. So they are available online. You just have to search for the right one. Over in the US, the United Ostomy Associations of America has a link to donate your ostomy supplies. There's a lot of affiliate groups um, and outpatient clinics and goodwill industries and nursing schools, including homeless shelters that you can send your unused supplies to. And if you want more information on that, you can go to ostomy.org forward slash donate ostomy supplies for those of you who are listening in America. For those of you listening in the UK, there's a couple of sites if you type in your Google search for donating ostomy supplies. BowelCancerUK.org uh, has an appeal for unused stoma supplies under the Jacobs Well Appeal, which you can find at jacobswellappeal.org forward slash ostomy supplies. And they will take donations of unwanted ostomy products in the UK, including pouches and accessories. 
Another uh, website directly under that is the dropppoint.org under Stoma Aid. Stoma Aid uh, is a website that's been around for a while. The Stoma Aid project uh, collates unused ostomy supplies in the UK. And so if you are listening from the UK and you've got some unused or unwanted ostomy supplies, you can actually donate them through the links on the Stoma Aid website. So you can actually find all of these sites all over the world, depending on where you're listening from. But that's just a small selection of, um, of available ways to donate your unused supplies. So for people who are perhaps grieving and uh, have discovered that the person who has passed has got a lot of supplies and you're not sure what to do with them, jump online and look up how to donate your ostomy supplies. Again, here in Australia, a lot of the hospitals and stomal therapy departments may take the supplies back. Some of the ostomy associations may take back supplies. But if you are unsure, please get in touch with your stomal therapy nurse who can point you in the right direction or perhaps suggest a charity or organization that will take those supplies back. Well, that's it for today's episode centered around death and dying with a stoma. I hope you've found the information uh, applicable to you. If you have concerns about your situation or you are a person who lives with a stoma or a friend, carer or loved one of a person that has a stoma, or if you're a person who is contemplating the uh, implementation or the creation of a stoma for a palliative sense and you want more information, please do get in touch with a stomal therapy nurse because we are happy to have these discussions centered around the best way to manage your situation or the best way to manage your stoma to provide you with the best quality of life and comfort uh, leading up to a person's passing. The main message that I wanted to get out to you is that we are there and we are happy to have these discussions with you and your family in looking at the best ways to manage your situation and your life with a stoma. Preserving a person's dignity is the forefront of providing quality palliative care for people with life-limiting or life-ending illnesses and that's something that we are heavily involved in in our positions. We hope that you join us next time for another episode of the Ostomy Nurse Project coming to you from down under because that's where your stoma is. Talk to you next time. Bye, everybody.